you want to join me there, Hebrews chapter 11, for the moments we have left together this evening, we'll jump back in here in Hebrews chapter number 11, and this passage starting in verse number 8, and so if you need an outline, Brother Doug's going to come down the middle aisle as we kind of just do a, a quick review here, get his attention. If you need an outline, I'd like for you to be able to follow along. Uh, we saw, first of all, as you see on your outline, Roman number one, Abraham listened to the call and the promise of God. Secondarily, we saw that he lived out that call and in light of the promises of God. And then finally, um, in that first section, we saw that Abraham looked for the fulfillment of the promises of God while he lived out the call of God. And uh, then um, last week, we saw how the author of Hebrews here, and uh, I believe to be Paul, enlarged the story right he added to it and he brought sarah into the picture which is neat to see and uh, we saw this then Romans number four abraham and sarah's legacy of lifelong trials uh, of their shared faith and this really encompasses much of their life these continual trials and yet it is quite the legacy isn't it and uh, that they leave for us we saw verse 11 i love that first part as i told you last week through faith also sarah and so uh, a, a description that abraham wasn't alone in this walk of faith he had a helpful and faithful help me on this journey of faith. They were in it together as we stated. And we just commented and made their uh, observation that shared faith always produces closeness. Always produces closeness. And so um, you might say that that is why it's important when we have a church that everybody subscribes to the same statement of faith. And uh, shared faith brings closeness. And uh, certainly Amos speaks to the reality that you can only accomplish things when there is a continuity and an agreement in that sense. Then we remind ourselves that when Abraham first received the, the calling and the promises of God, he was 75 years old. Sarah was around uh, 65. And we, we commented how even at that age, they obviously were very excited about the news that God had given, yet they were probably very anxious, right? And uh, how's that going to happen considering our age and everything else? And so um, uh, we asked the question, how long would it take for them to get nervous? Eh, for faith to waver just a little bit nothing was happening how many years and that's the question we we kind of dwelled on how long would it take for doubt and frustration to take up residence in their hearts um, this is not something like the inheritance of the land that could have been realized after their death this was a limited time frame the window was closing very quickly if it had not already closed in that sense and so then we were told how that uh, when isaac came along uh, abraham was a hundred years old sarah was 90 ended up that they had to wait for the fulfillment for 25 years and uh, my how challenging is that and remain faithful remain faithful in their trust in god and we said we observed right this is true and somebody this week was just talking about how you know our message last week was challenging them because they'd been waiting several years for something and and then to think in terms of sarah and abraham 25 years they waited right and waited faithfully waited patiently yeah there's some hiccups that we've talked about but reality is there was plenty of time for the doubts and frustrations produced by those circumstances to take up residence in their hearts and in their thinking and how true that is verses 11 and 12 points out that abraham's body was dead i like that terminology to the process of having a child being able to produce offspring and so we began looking from those verses this letter a right the human impossibility of the fulfillment of the promise the human impossibility and it's clear that's true this was humanly impossible abraham and sarah couldn't have children they're both biologically physiologically impossible at this point in their lives and this trial phase that lasted 25 years and we said that with the passing of each one of those years as the years tick by one two five uh, seven eight ten you know i just 15 20 uh, my goodness yeah, that that window and, uh, shrunk and the disappointment likely grew and 
been easy to surrender to doubt and frustration, to not trust God that he would come through in his promises. And yet we read in verse 11, right, that great statement. She judged, she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. And I like that. That, that truth. We really didn't uh, harp on this much, but understand what that, the truth found in this story is this. The, the promise is not the most important thing, but rather the character of the one who gave the promise. What is she judging? Is she judging the, well, this is such a good promise, because in America we'll say this, that's worth waiting for. That's not what she's saying. Now, that's not why Sarah had great faith. She didn't have great faith because she said, oh, you know what, I haven't had a child before, I haven't had a son, so this is worth waiting for. That's not what she says, and I, I like how the verse brings that out. It's not, this is worth waiting for. This is, my only, this is my only hope. That's not what she says. She judges what? The very character of God. And my friend, when you judge the character of God, you will find no flaws. You will find no flaws. So every promise he gives, you base it on his character. The reality is you can judge him faithful. And all signs, all human signs point to the impossibility of the promise coming true. But her faith did not look at the human impossibility. It did not look at the circumstances. Rather, it looked at the character of the creator who gave the promise. And my friend, when you begin to look at the character of your creator, you will find a holy, just, good God, a faithful God who is powerful to do all that he has promised. And so Sarah did that. We, we noted the two things, didn't we, quickly? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But number one, we noticed that it was exemplary faith in the face of forever long trial. He, God encourages us by showing uh, Sarah in this light, showing her faith in her, the character of her creator, not the circumstances. And to the world, it would have been foolish, right? In fact, we, we made the statement here and, um, that uh, to the world, true biblical faith is often, uh, or is, it is deaf uh, to doubt, it is dumb to discouragement, it is blind to human impossibility. Or the world would call us crazy for putting our faith in God. True biblical faith is deaf to the doubt. It's dumb to the discouragement and it is blind to human impossibility. Sarah, through faith, received strength. She had a baby. We'll talk a little bit about that this evening. She judged that creator worthy of her faith. Secondly, and this is uh, just a great encouragement to me as we studied this last week, is uh, it's an encouraging record of faith, not failure. If you and I were telling the story, we would easily be able to tell the repeated failures of faith the faltering, the wavering of their faith. And I find it humorous. We, we often will comment about Sarah laughing at God's thing, but Abraham did the same thing on two different occasions. Each of them laughed. Abraham even fell to the ground in doing so. Um, so you see, reality is that then they go about by their own design and the debacle with Ishmael and Hagar and of their own orchestration and administration, if you could put it that way. And that certainly fell apart. And we, we, we made this observation, right? If we want to tell the whole story, there were times of faltering faith. We see them recorded in the Old Testament for you and I. They, their impatience was very costly, even to this day, and the opponents and enemies of Israel uh, that that bore. And so we know that. But the passage does not bring those things out, right? And it's a credit to our God, we said last time. And we serve a gracious God. Why? Because he chooses not to dwell uh, upon our failures in which we demonstrate weak faith, but rather upon our moments of strong faith. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? He would rather keep record of your moments of strong faith than your moments of weak faith. And often with graciousness and mercy and loving kindness, compassion beyond human degree, our God looks upon you and I, and he overlooks our faltery at times. 
And that's a blessing for us. We made the statement, we finished it up, that why is Sarah in Hebrews 11? Why is this person in Hebrews 11? Why? Well, because we serve a kind and merciful God that sees beyond our doubts, our failures, our frustrations at times, our weak faith at times. He chooses to see those moments that we cling to faith in Him, especially in the face of the impossible. We should say here the humanly impossible, right? So if we were to say what's the key to all this? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, we've already seen the one passage, she judged him faithful who hath promised or who had promised. But the other is the first two words of verse 11, isn't it? Through faith. We understand that. Um, And that faith of Sarah did something that we all need to do. What did it do? Well, you see the statement on your outline. Sarah's response of faith took it out of the realm of humanity and handed it over to the realm of divinity. It was humanly impossible. Within human uh, realm or area, a sphere, this is impossible. It could not happen. And uh, no longer, though, as they, Sarah, by faith, as she judged the, the character of her creator to be worthy of her faith. You see, no longer were they trying of their own power. That had failed. They were about to see the power of faith. And Christ taught this lesson when he walked on earth. Remember what he said, Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. Here's what Christ said. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That's a powerful statement. All things are possible to him that believeth. He would follow that up with Matthew chapter 19 and 26, and we probably know the passage well. And Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, do you see the contrast and the comparison? It's exactly what we have here in Hebrews. Exact same thing going on, just in a different presentation. Jesus Christ is saying, listen, in a human sphere, in humanity's sphere, that, this is impossible. It can't happen. Sarah's body, she's waxed old, she's beyond, she's past her time, past childbearing years. And there you have Abraham, he is, his body's dead to be able to have a child. Humanly speaking, it's a done deal. It's impossible. This cannot happen. Speaking from God's perspective, all things are possible. And inherent was to their faith was that true. You see, here's a truth that comes shining through in this story, in this passage especially. It's this. Whatever we know that God has promised or is his will, faith has the power to accomplish it. Whatever we know that God has promised through his word, and certainly to those in the Old Testament that he spoke to, whatever his promise is, whatever his will for you and I to do, faith has power to accomplish it that's what christ was saying he that believeth it's possible to him and so for you and i if god has shown us something to do i I don't think i can do that good news you have faith it's possible you trust in god the god of all power it's possible and that passage this passage contrasts that just as the passage with jesus christ did so we see letter b the divine possibility contrasted with the human impossibility the divine possibility of the fulfillment of the given promise it is an amazing story. God unleashes his power in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, and their bodies even, we could say, in response to the faith that God commended in them. They both had great faith. And then we read exactly what is possible to God in an impossible situation. Look again, verse 11 and 12. Let's fo- focus now not on the human impossibility, but the divine possibility. Look at verse 10, or verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she was and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
verse 12, therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Man, powerful passage. Verse number 11. What does it say that Sarah received? Look again. What does it say that Sarah received? It says that she received strength. Okay? Interesting statement. She received strength. And that's the, the Greek word is also translated as power. Right? And uh, she received strength and power, particularly, you see here, um, to do what she could not humanly do. Her body was incapable of it. It was humanly impossible. She was incapable of doing anything to make this happen herself. But God says, I'm going to give you strength. And so she did. Or so he did, excuse me. So she received it, strength. Now that word, some of you might remember the, the, the Greek word that is often translated as strength and power in our New Testament is the word from which we derive the word dynamite. And so what do we think of when we see this? That she received power. She received strength. In fact, we would say this. This is an explosive great power that is resting upon her to do something that is humanly impossible all through faith. What was dead, and I love that terminology we see uh, here, what was dead has now been made alive. What could no longer conceive and protect and nurture a child growing inside of her was now empowered divinely to be able to do so made alive Uh, that's an amazing truth she now had the power to conceive she had the power she received the strength to have a child but it goes beyond that this verse speaks more to the divine powerful act of god in this notice it um it also says that she was what delivered of a child when she was past age not only did she conceive, but reality is this. The Bible's telling you she was delivered. That is, uh, again, to no uh, consideration of her own ability or power to do so, this is God's promise, this is His will, that she would be able to deliver the baby. And so we find this truth, too, that goes right along with the character and the other truths we've already seen is this. When God makes a promise, He chooses to obligate Himself to keep it. God keeps His word. He says, listen, I'll, pro- I'll keep everything I promised you. There's not one promise or, uh, that I've given you that will fall to the ground. So he obligates himself to keep it. And so guess what? Sarah delivers. Now, don't, let's not pass by that. That's no small task, right? Think about it. What do you think the chances are? What's the percentage of a 90-year-old woman well past the time of childbearing to be able to carry a baby, let alone conceive, but carry a baby, have a healthy pregnancy, have a healthy delivery, and give birth to a healthy baby child? 90 years old. What's the percentage? 5%? 2%? 0%? You know what the medical field of even our day would say? And boy, we have progressed as... When it comes to our amazing intellect and ability to do things with our intelligence, you know what the medical field of our day would tell you? It's totally impossible. It's inconceivable, pun intended. Somebody catch that later. Um, it's totally impossible, right? That cannot happen. It cannot happen. This is just, this is impossible in concept that um, this 90 year old lady would not only conceive, that's beyond possible, but that she could carry a baby to term that both her and the baby would be healthy throughout it. Um, it, it, Humanly speaking, that's impossible, and it is. But divinely speaking, it's possible. It's possible because God had promised it. 
See, God turned the, the possible, excuse me, the impossible into the possible through his power. He displayed in response to their faith this granting of amazing truth. And that's not all that God did. Look again at verse 12. You see the statement here? And uh, again, now we're, we kind of move from Sarah to Abraham. Therefore, sprang there even of one. It describes that one. Him, speaking of the one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Um, obviously talking about Abraham, and I love that description, right? It sprang from him, right? Uh, and not just one. Many as the sky, uh, the stars in the sky and multitude is an innumerable amount as the sands by the shore or in the shore by the sea. That made me think. You realize that even today you and I, are witnessing a time where this promise is being fulfilled can i just tell you tonight every time a jew is born even today the promise is fulfilled every time a jew is brought into this world a descendant of abraham sarah every time the promise is fulfilled a promise that just keeps being fulfilled god keeps his word abraham and sarah they had faith to that reality and god hasn't stopped fulfilling the promise he made now as we bring this to a close we finish up verses uh, 11 and 12 i'd like to share one little um my little favorite tidbits about the story of abraham and sarah do you remember that abraham uh, had a name before uh, he was named as abraham right genesis chapter 17 and uh, god changed that um uh, name but do you remember what it was yeah it was abraham right and uh, interestingly we thinking about that uh, Let's imagine for just a moment a stranger stumbles across their little um, um, homestead there in the promised land or back when they were traveling to the promised land and they were just going wherever God directed and guided Abraham and Sarah. Let's, let's just imagine for a moment a stranger comes across their path and a conversation is struck up and Abraham's conversing with the stranger and, and uh, as part of the conversation the man says, hey, what's your name? And Abram would say, well, my name's Abram. Maybe that stranger, oh, that is, a, that is a good name. A good name with a good meaning. A name that means high and exalted father. High and exalted father. Probably that man would then say, well, that's awesome. So, so tell me, exactly, how many children do you have? To which Abram would say, what? Don't have any. I don't have any. The guy would kind of give him a bewildered look because even in that day, names meant something, right? They often went along with who you were and things like that. And he'd look at him and he'd say, well, okay, and maybe move on subjects. Then imagine the day that Abram came to his friends, his neighbors, maybe just his servants, but he came to them and said, hey, listen, I'm going to change my name. Don't you think some of his friends and neighbors and maybe servants said, you know what, I don't blame him. Because the name that he has right now sure doesn't fit him. And, and he probably hasn't noticed people laughing behind his back because he's called the high and exalted, exalted father. And he's not even a father. He didn't have any children and so forth. And they said, that's probably a good idea. So they ask him, Abram, what are you going to change your name to? He says, Abraham. You know what that means? He would say to them, it means father of a multitude. And they're looking at him like, are you crazy? You don't even have one child. You don't even have one son. One daughter. You have... God, your wife is barren, you don't have anything, and now you're changing the name from Abram, exalted or high father, to Abraham, which simply means a father of a multitude. You can imagine the response, but here's the key. Abram didn't change his name, God changed it. 
And when God changes, do you remember what he said in Genesis chapter 17? He said this, look carefully. As he's speaking to Abraham, he says this, Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. It's God that changed his name, and my friend, can I tell you, no truer name has ever been given. No truer name has ever been given. It is true. His descendants number the stars of the sky. His descendants number the sand on the shore along the sea. How did it all happen? Well, we read it through faith. Was that faith faltering at times? Did it give in to frustration and doubt? Certainly, we know that. But it was faith nonetheless in a powerful God to do the impossible. I leave you with a simple thought tonight. It's simply this. You see it at the bottom of your outline. God's power is there for us to claim according to His will and promises. Now, sometimes the obstacle to that is this next statement. That the things promised or directed seem impossible has no bearing on the matter. It should not affect our faith. But rather, the only hindrance to experiencing that power is often one's lack of faith. We go back to that question, why is Sarah here? Why is Sarah here? Because I think she showed, for the most part, great faith in God that he would fulfill his promises. Could I just ask you tonight, you know your situation, you know what's going on in your life, you know what you need to experience or exercise faith. How is your faith tonight? How is your faith tonight?